Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 128. On this podcast, I love to talk with people who combine their love of nature with their creative passions. Often it's through a traditional nature journal or a nature diary, and sometimes I chat with people who have a really unique way of capturing their impressions of nature. Today I'm chatting with artist Meredith Woolnuff. Meredith is from Newcastle here in Australia, and she uses freehand machine embroidery to create the most amazing sculptural representations of natural subjects. Meredith studied both textiles and natural history illustration, and keeping a nature journal is an important part of her creative process. In this conversation, we dive into the details of how Meredith researches, plans, creates, and displays her amazing pieces. You'll also hear about the role her sketchbook plays in generating creative ideas. Let's listen. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very much looking forward to our chat today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it as well. So I always go back and ask about early childhood stuff, and I wonder if you can trace your creativity roots back to childhood. Oh, I can try. Um, I I think I had a, a very lucky and privileged childhood in that my my parents, my family were always very open to creativity. We were always doing something that was painting or drawing or playing with clay or coloured yogurt. There's photographs of me <laughs> smearing coloured yogurt all over boards in the backyard, probably ate most of it. But that was always a big part of what we did. And and we were always quite, I think, connected with nature. We We had a lot of camping holidays and we had a decent backyard and I have lots of memories of climbing trees and having little adventures even in our small sort of suburban block. So uh, it's always been an important part, I think, of what we have, probably something that I didn't appreciate until now looking back. Yeah, I think that nature experiences in the Australian backyard is actually a really big part of people's childhoods and and something that you don't really label back then. It was just what kids did. But we have a lot of space around us, don't we? And just the regular suburban backyard is actually quite a wonderful place to make a nature connection in early childhood. Yeah, absolutely. I have so many fond memories of like nestling into flower beds and climbing up trees and you know, collecting leaves and crunching leaves and, you know, you don't realise how important that little tiny world of your backyard is to your childhood and and your experiences growing up and you don't realise that not everybody has that. Yes, yes. I have a friend who's from Germany and she describes the European experience as caged hens and in Australia we're (laughs) free-ranging. I like that. But we're all chickens. Just, yeah, that's right. Just because we have more space than many people in the world, which we need to remember as a good privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-mm. So then when you finished high school, you went straight on to study art. And I wonder if that was just always a natural thing that you knew you wanted to do. I think yes and no. I feel like when I finished high school, 
I had no idea what I wanted to do at all. And it was really scary to think we had to choose at that point, yeah. so little life experience. And I'd always loved art. I was always so interested in it. So I, you know, kind of put in my uni preferences and, and got accepted into art school. I had no plans of being an artist. To me, that seemed so lofty and unrealistic, not a real <laughs> job. Um, but I just wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to learn to make all the things and do all the things because that's when I was happiest and I kind of liked it and was good at it. So yeah, jumped into art school. I was 17 at the time. I wasn't even old enough to go to the pub. <laughs> and what was the experience of art school like for you? Oh, it, I think looking back on it, it was all a bit of a blur uh, in, in good and bad ways. I, I really kind of just kind of went through it. I actually messed up my enrollment and um I had plans to go in and major in photography, but somehow managed to stuff that up and and ended up not being able to do that. And as a result, I chose to major in textiles, which I knew nothing about. I hadn't done any, really any sewing or we didn't do textiles at high school, but it was an area that interested me because it seemed to have so many areas. It was so broad. It wasn't just painting, you go and paint. Ceramics, you go and make ceramics textiles yeah. was weaving and dyeing and basketry and fabric and it was all sorts of things and I went to art school because I wanted to learn all the things so I ended up majoring in textiles and it was probably one of the best happy accidents that ever happened to me because I kind of found my thing through through those studies and through those years at uni. Yeah so that sounds like one of those times when some sort of twist of fate some sort of universe gift uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> changes your tra trajectory onto the path that you were supposed to be on. Yeah, it could could well be, could well be. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely a happy accident. Um, it's, it's where we ended up and don't regret it at all. And through that you've developed this really unique way of making art. Mm. So you call it uh, freehand machine embroidery but there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into it and I, I wonder if you could paint a, vid a visual picture of what your process looks like and what your outcome looks like when you create a piece with freehand machine em embroidery what it comes out to be so yes my I guess my practice in a nutshell to try and describe it to someone who can't see it so yes this podcast yeah. format <laughs> podcast uh, when you work in a visual medium. Wonderful. Um, so, well, I guess if we talk about how I landed there, talking back to my studies, yeah. so I, I said I majored in textiles and I spent all those years playing with all the things, but I definitely mastered none of them. Um, and then I had the opportunity to do an honours year and I decided to focus on freehand machine embroidery on water-soluble fabric. So freehand machine embroidery is essentially a way of drawing with your sewing machine. It's actually very simple and very basic. You turn all the settings of the machine off. So it's just that needle going up and down and then you move fabric around under the needle to do a drawing. So I saw that as a really cool way to draw and I still think of my work as drawings just done with needle and thread. And then I thought that was very fun, but then I discovered water-soluble fabric, which is a common embroidery stabilizer. It's mostly used to back fabric when you stitch onto it to give it more support. And then being water-soluble, it can be washed away. So it allows you to stitch a beautiful drawing onto a, perhaps an otherwise challenging or delicate fabric and then wash it away and you never know it was there. But I decided to use it as a base fabric all on its own so that I could do my stitch drawing and 
and then wash the fabric away. So essentially create an embroidery and then remove the base fabric altogether. So I just ended up with this sculptural stitched drawing. So I refer to it as sculptural embroidery because it's a more three-dimensional way to create things. So that year when I first started playing with it, I really just dove in with an experimental hat on and made all the mistakes and tried all the things and really developed many of the ways that I work today. And I went in with very little guidance. <laughs> I really didn't know much about it. I didn't know my way around a sewing machine. And as a result, a lot of the ways that I work are probably quite different to anyone else who has a background in textiles or sewing, because I didn't have any of those habits or preconceived ideas. I just approached it as a weird way to draw and an interesting way to create art, fell in love with it and have been working with it for now oh, over 15 years, I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I love that you went into textiles partly by accident. <laughs> um, but now, I mean, you describe it as drawing, but it is very much a sculpture when it's finished. And so you, you're you interweaving all these different uh, parts of art making and the result is astonishingly beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I I definitely see it as sculptural. Well, thread is sculptural anyway. Yeah. And that's why I love drawing with thread. Drawing on paper is fabulous and a huge part of my practice as well, but it's it's flat. It's it, it's a drawing on a flat surface, generally with flat mediums, but thread is three-dimensional to begin mm -hmm. with. And then to be able to take it off the fabric and then to be able to shape and mold it, to layer it. Because um, I did discover as well, the, the base fabric that I can use acts almost like a glue. So it's not just dissolving it and and making it into a flat or a floppy piece of fabric you can mm. shape it and mold it and create three-dimensional forms with it it's very exciting there's so much that can be done with it I actually feel that the way that I work is really quite narrow I've just sort of found my aesthetic and what I like to do but it's only one tiny slice of the whole pie of possibilities what you can do with this technique I love also when it comes out and because it's three-dimensional and you often uh display your pieces against a white background the shadow becomes almost part of the art piece doesn't it yes hugely the shadows are so important that was also something that I developed quite early on the way that I mount and present the works because mm -hmm. I was finding I was creating these beautiful sculptural pieces these embroideries that were essentially liberated from their base cloths and then when it came to displaying them to put them flat again to mm -hmm. you know put them back on a board or something, they lost all that magic and that sculptural wonder. So I spent a lot of time sort of developing a way to display them. And I actually took inspiration from entomological collections, so sort of insect specimens and how they're all pinned out and, mm. and, and spaced. And it's a quite a simple process, um, but it means that I can make my embroideries look like they're floating in the frame. I call it shadow mounting for the reason that when they're floating, they cast these lovely shadows and it shows off the delicate uh, lace-like nature of the work or the negative space and adds a whole other dimension to the work as well. Yeah. It must be quite a thing to create this piece with the machine and then to wash away the fabric and something new is in your hands. What does that feel like when you wash away the, the soluble fabric? Oh, fun. It is my favorite part of the whole process because <laughs> you get to see it come to life it, it sort of goes from this flat embroidery on this this white fabric and then 
all the holes appear and then it can shape and sometimes it can kind of take on a life of its own. Um, I often find if I'll stitch leaves, for example, they'll curl up just like real leaves mm. will. They sort of yeah. take on their own life. Um, yeah, it's it's very much the exciting part for me because that's the transformational part when you're, you're taking something away from the artwork but you're also letting it come out. Yeah, absolutely. I love Thinking of you back in art school, just sort of finding your way through experimentation. And I'd love for you to tell me about taking your sewing machine into life drawing classes. (laughs) They hated me for that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, you know, in art school, you're always like, oh, yeah, I'll try and do something different. So in art school, you do basic drawing classes. Pretty much everyone does life drawing classes. And, you, you know, you set up your big board and your paper and your charcoal and and I remember saying like look I'm I'm starting to play with this freehand machine embroidery would you mind if I brought a sewing machine into the classroom and the teacher was all for it he was like oh that'd be amazing yeah but I'm sure all the other students hated it because it wasn't like a constant droning it was like a start a stop a word <laughs> a clunk uh you know and and I can't say that anything that I produced with the sewing machine in those life drawing classes was worth looking at <laughs> um but it was a very fun it was a fun process. It was just also breaking free and loosening yeah. up and trying to just draw in a different way and not draw in a traditional way because, you know, drawing is just making marks. I was just making marks with needle and thread. Um, but, yeah, all the other students were very polite about it. I'm sure they <laughs> didn't really like the noisy machine. But they put what, an amazing, <laughs> what an amazing thing, though. I, and, the, I mean... I never went to art school, but I can imagine that art school is all about pushing boundaries and finding finding new ways to make marks and be creative, and that certainly is a unique, wonderful way to do it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever attempted it since. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> even recommend it. But it was good fun. It was a good activity to try, and it's always great to try new things. You never know what you'll discover. Lots of your work involves very, very fine, meticulous detail. And I'm really always interested in the way people work and what they produce through their art and whether that reflects their personalities. Do you find yourself to be at very close attention to detail in your everyday life? Is that the kind of person you are? (laughs) I think in some ways I think I'm quite process driven I'm quite Mm. practical I think that comes from my father he was he was a carpenter but he was a very good carpenter he would always do things beautifully and very well and he always had the the cleverest most efficient way to do things he was always very organized and I think that kind of rubbed off on me um, and that definitely informs my practice it's not always so much intuitive and and free and experimental although that's very fun it's Mm. it's quite planned um, and, and, and yeah, attention to detail and, and, and having a process to follow works for me and it works for my work. So I think that comes across, um, whether or not other aspects of my life reflect that, I don't know. (laughs) And so a lot of people listening, uh, from the nature journaling community will have done the short course that's offered by, uh, University of Newcastle, which is in natural history illustration. And you actually did their degree in natural history illustration. I'd love to hear about your experience with this. Oh, yes. Well, I can't talk highly enough about that degree. It was actually also a bit of a happy accident that I stumbled upon it and ended up enrolling in it. So tell me how I, about that. <laughs> how I got to that degree is 
I um, am originally from Sydney, did my fine art degree down there, uh, and I was uh, following art school. I went on and did teaching, um, which I loved. It wasn't a fallback for me. Like I said, I wasn't really mm. thinking, oh, art is a serious career. I can't do I can't do that. Um, even though I loved it and I was exhibiting and, and I was selling work. And then um, I had the opportunity to move to where I live now, which is in Newcastle, about two hours up the road. And I moved up for a great reason. My, um, my now husband uh, is up here, living up here. So I moved up to be with him. But it meant that I left my very stable full-time teaching job. And as a result of that, I was like, look, I want to focus more on my art practice. And I want to get better at drawing because I felt that it was a big barrier for me. I had studied fine art and I had done my drawing classes, my life drawing with my sewing machine and all of that. <laughs> but I still felt that I wasn't that great at it. I couldn't get the ideas out of my brain through my hands into my work. And I found, you know, that was a real barrier for me. So I wanted to get better at drawing. And my work had naturally kind of morphed into exploring natural structures. I was looking mm. at coral a lot in my embroidered works and um, really struggling to get, you know, good ideas and references to translate into my stitched embroideries. So I was like, I'm going to study drawing. And I just thought I'd do like a little little, little course or, or something. And then a series of serendipitous circumstances, I kept hearing about this natural history illustration degree. I would bump into someone at the shopping, like the shopping checkout and get chatting to them and they were doing the course and they'd rave about it. Oh, someone wow. would come to my exhibitions. I had an exhibition in Newcastle of my embroidered work and they were like, have you heard about this natural history illustration degree? Because it just aligns so well with what you're doing. So I looked it up and it sounded amazing. It was this wonderful mix of art and science. And, but I was like, I don't want to study another degree. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, but I went and spoke to the course coordinator and like, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. You know, is this, do you think this course is suitable for me? And it all sounded great. So I enrolled and I dove into it and I just found like, I found my place and I found my people mm -hmm. because it was, like I said, that wonderful mix of art and science. And it was, art school without all the egos. It was just people who were passionate about, about nature and about drawing and the level of work that the students produced were amazing. And it wasn't in a nasty competitive way, it just encouraged everyone to work harder. And uh, yeah, it was a wonderful degree. The people who ran the course were amazing. And they're, I believe, the same people who run that online course that the okay. university offers, um, Bernie and Andrew. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. So I learned botanical illustration, entomological illustration, medical illustration, all these particular disciplines, but also many other ways to approach and use drawings for things like illustrations for children's books or whatever direction you wanted to take it in. Also sculptural work too. So I had a fabulous time exploring that and so much of the, the work and the practices that were explored in that degree have found their way into my own work, especially the field work, the research, the looking at nature really closely, understanding it well, and then knowing how to interpret that and develop my own designs that now feed into my embroidery. So yes, I obviously loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested in that, uh, the way that you take that, what you learn from that degree and incorporate it into your current art practice mm -hmm. and specifically, uh, the field work. And so I've heard you say that that field work, that uh, research and getting to know the species that you're working on really helps you create something 
more significant than if you were just working from a photograph or without that background connection with the species. I'd love to hear about your process and practice of fieldwork and how that helps you create something more significant. Sure, sure. Well, I guess uh, there's many different ways that I can find like a starting point for for an artwork, but fieldwork is one of my favorite ways to, of course, do it. We all love to get out into nature, whether it be a bushwalk or snorkeling. I love to scuba dive. It's a great excuse to go on holidays to amazing (laughs) locations. Um, So it's really nice to have those firsthand experiences and to find something that gives you that little spark that interests you quite often it's just a matter of going out and finding something interesting and you don't have to go far um when i was creating work i had you know young daughter a new baby pretty much all my work and all my journaling work were just house plants around my house or things within the block radius the little walk that i'd go on when i was trying to get my kid to sleep so you don't have to go very far to find inspiration but then I quite liked, again, that meticulous approach of if I found something it interests me, I then want to know all about it because I find the more you know about something, the more you want to learn about something. Curiosity kind of feeds this beast and it's this wonderful cycle of, oh, that's interesting, what is it? The more you find out about it, you find out all these other fascinating things or about the wonderful connections that that plant or animal has with other things in its environment and it really enriches it. I like to think that you... You want to become friends with your subject and you want to know them well before you try to interpret them. And then my stitched interpretations, they're not necessarily, you know, botanically realistic interpretations of a plant that I find, for example, but it's definitely all of my research really helps to inform what I do. Often I'm drawn to something because there's something about it that I find fascinating. It might be its structure or its color or something visual and then I'll find more about that and and learn more about that and that definitely will help me to when it comes to creating a stitched interpretation or a design that will work with my style of embroidery the focus is often on those things that first drew me in but I I find my research helps to inform the design so that it's more accurate more true um, to the original specimen or the species if that makes sense yeah and I mean, you often spend many, especially with a big piece, you spend many, many hours with that one particular species. And so it being your friend, it being something you've studied and researched and feel connected to, that must make that whole process more fulfilling for you. Definitely. And it also just makes it easier to draw as well. Um, Quite often, you know, you'll find a, for example, at the moment I'm working with coral fans a lot. I'm creating an exhibition focused on coral and it's sometimes hard to find really great photos of uh, you know these sorts of things you know underwater photography is hard I know I've tried it I'm terrible (laughs) um so it it can be you find something beautiful and interesting then you find out what that species or maybe not necessarily the species maybe just the genus you find out more about it you collect together a whole lot of different reference images you start to notice the similarities or the differences between the structures you start to draw them you start to understand them and then when it comes to developing my own artwork if i want it to be a particular size or in a particular format I can, once I've developed that good understanding of the structure of how that particular coral genus works and what makes it look like that particular genus, then because I'm friends with it, I know it so well, I'm comfortable with it, I've spent so much time with it, I can then essentially develop my design that will not only look good and look balanced as a design, but will also be true to that particular coral species. So it's a very freeing way 
to be able to develop your own designs. And that was really the missing link that I was looking for when I went back and studied drawing. I wanted to be able to do that. Yes. Yeah. Didn't want to rely on taking a photo and using that as my pure source. Um, I can essentially understand how this thing grows and works and functions and then develop a design that is true to it, um, but also gives me the outcome that I want for my own work. Absolutely. And this is that place where science and art play together. And I just think that's a wonderful space and so rich and the way that artists can interpret science and and take that to people is really wonderful. You did some work where you were creating uh, embroidery cell, embroidered cells, which is quite wonderful. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, that was a really fun project that just kind of landed in my lap. It sounded like a dream project. So I was approached by this group that were working with uh, cell culture research. And just as a promotion for you know them, they decided to find artists and pair them with scientists that worked with cells. And again, pull out why these scientists loved cells, why they loved working with cells. And then we were just asked to create an artwork um, in response to that. There were no limitations on it. Mm essentially do whatever we liked. So I got paired with this lovely uh, artist who worked with embryonic cells and she had these beautiful images of, um, you know, the, the cell cultures that she was working with, these wonderful coloured shapes that looked like alien out of these world things, so different from what I was used to seeing. I'd never really dived into the microscopic world. Yeah. There's a lot there. It's pretty amazing. Um, so from working with her and understanding what she did uh, a bit, which again, something I'd never really explored and also hearing how excited and passionate she was about it, how excited she was the first time she saw cells and things like that. So ended up creating uh, basically a recreation almost or my interpretation of one of her images, which was a very early uh, cluster of embryonic cells. So it sort of just looked like this amazing glowing ball of green blobs, essentially. And she explained all the various parts to me. And then, yeah, I, I set about creating my own stitched cells, ended up creating hundreds of these little cup shaped embroideries and arranging them all together in a way that sort of reference that original image and it was a really fun project I'd never worked collaboratively like that before mm -hmm. it was a really challenging project because quite often you know I'm very particular about choosing my subject that I know will work well with this type of embroidery and give me a good outcome but with this I had no idea what I was walking into I had no idea who I was going to be paired with or what they were going to work with or what the imagery that I had as inspiration would be but uh, it all worked out and it was challenging but really fun and fulfilling as well. Oh, what a joy. What a joy to have that creative collaboration and then also have the chance to explore a new subject, mm. something that was really fascinating but that you might not have been drawn to otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always good to uh, push the limits, I think. I think we can get very comfortable and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable and, you know, having such my work is probably quite distinctive. You, you instantly mm. see it and know it's mine. You know that I stitch coral, I stitch leaves, sometimes shells, and I don't branch too far out from those subject matters. There's still lots to explore there, but it's also really good to push yourself in new directions too. You never know what you'll discover along the way. Yeah, well, let's talk about your subject. So coral, leaves and shells are strong features in your work, um, but I'm really interested in how your landscape informs that so you'll you live by the sea you've got bushland nearby I'd love to hear about 
the natural places that you visit regularly and whether that's that the that's what's informing those subject matters or is the subject matter come from just what's going to look good in this using this sculptural technique? Mm, great question. It's probably a bit of both. Um, definitely inspired by things that are around me. Like I said, I do like to go out and do the field work, do the exploring, but it doesn't always have to be local. Um, here in Newcastle, I am a bit spoilt. We do have some beautiful areas and many of the eucalyptus leaf specimens, mm. for example, things that I've created are just things that I have found. I've just picked them up on the ground and, and worked with those. Some of my other leaf sculptures, as I've mentioned, might just be house plants, plants with interesting veining patterns or things that I've seen in botanical gardens. Sometimes, you know, I've been traveling around for work, teaching workshops, and if ever there's a botanical garden, I will find it and I will spend a lot of time there and take a lot of photos. They also come with handy nameplates, which makes the research and identification <laughs> much easier. Lots of variety in one place. So I'll often go to places like that. Uh, I'm not sort of strictly wanting to work with Australian natives as beautiful mm. and wonderful as they are. I'm often more drawn to the structures themselves. When it comes to things from the ocean, yes, I live near the ocean. It's amazing. Um, I'm too far down the coast, though, to have uh, the kind of coral that I mm -hmm. really like to work with. There's some beautiful sponge gardens nearby that I like to dive with, although I've never explored those in my work often um if i will get to go on a holiday it'll be somewhere where i can do some lovely tropical diving and that always sort of fills my bucket back up with inspiration and ideas it's just really nice to see that kind of environment so that's often where i'll get sort of the starting points or at least the inspiration points for certain things but it doesn't always have to rely on just things that I have seen myself obviously there is a world of wonderful things out there and you don't need to experience in person to be inspired by them so quite often it'll be you know things that you discover online and then you research them further or you know particular plants or animals that I've never encountered in real life outside of you know aquariums or museums that are still really inspiring and and fun to explore so yeah, that's true. I I some time ago got invited to uh, do a commission making some interpretive signs for a reserve in in the USA, and so I was drawing and discovering things about the plants and animals there. And I feel very connected to those species, even though I have never seen them in person. I look forward to one day spotting them in the wild. And because you take the time to draw and get to know them. I know that they will be instantly recognisable to me as old friends when I do see them. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We tend to find our favourites. And I think as well when you spend time studying, looking at something, whether it's something you chose or something for another project like work, and you build that connection, even the simplest and possibly overlooked plant is still fascinating. Even the weeds, you know, that are growing in the cracks in the pavement can be really, really interesting. So... And it's interesting when you put down marks and you spend time like with the shadows and the colours and the textures of one particular animal, how familiar you become with that species. I remember I did a commission painting a superb fairy wren and I'd never seen one in the wild, but I spent hours with this, you know, with photographs of this species and the male and the female. And I was taking a walk really close to my home one day and across my vision, really fast, came the female superb fairy wren. And I was like, oh, there she is. Like I, I knew her from the colours and the, the texture of her breast and 
and I knew he was coming somewhere and I was like, yes, my friends are here. <laughs> it was almost more, it was more than that. It was almost like a celebrity sighting. It was like, oh, here they come. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, superb fairy friends are my favorite bird of all time. Like they're amazing. I, I just they? love them, but they're so hard to spot, aren't they? Yeah. Or you'll spot them from a mile away. You'll never get close. Yeah. You'll never be able to get a good photograph of them. That's <laughs> a joy to watch and Oh, they're so adorable. Yep, I know yes. exactly what you mean. Yep. <laughs> so one thing that I'm fascinated by in your work is colour because some of your work has just the richest colour but also you blend, seamlessly blend colours one into another and I, I would love to hear about how you're connected with colour but also just the technical side of how do you blend when you're sewing, when you're drawing with your sewing machine, how do you blend the threads into each other so beautifully? Great question. And it's something, yes, I'm glad that you noticed that because that is something that I strive to really capture in my work because, as you know, I kind of came from this fine art background, drawing and painting, where you could mix up any colour that you want and then any tint or shade of that colour so you can have so much control over it. But when you come to working with embroidery threads, you can only work with the colours that the threads come in. And although they do come in a beautiful range of colours, hundreds of colours, it's rare to get the perfect colour and the perfect shade of colour to perfectly match something. So there's always a bit of artistic licence there. And, and then again, it's that problem of blending them. I didn't like in embroidery how you'd have that real obvious shift from one colour to another. It would literally be like one colour starts and one stops and it was quite jarring. So I actually sort of accidentally discovered a way to colour blend or a way that works for me and it might sound really obvious to anyone else who embroiders but it was the discovery for me I actually had my tension set incorrectly I had the tension set too tight and I was working with two different colors so one color in my top thread one color in my bobbin thread you always have two uh, threads going on when you're sewing they get locked together to form your stitches and because my tension was too tight I was pulling that bobbin thread up to the top so I'd have little bits of the most the top thread color but little dots of the bobbin color coming through and at the time I was working with black and white and it, it, it made the whole piece kind of look like a bit more of a mottled gray so I sort of thought yeah. oh this is fun it's almost like a pointillistic painting that the impressionists used to do they put all those little dots of colors down you look up close it looks like a mishmash of nothing but then you step back and your eye blends it all together so I set about purposely doing this yeah I sort of found a way that I could fine-tune my tension to get the blending of the two different colors my top and my bottom thread as close as I could um, to give me that sort of mix of both of them and then it's really just again a, a process a very pragmatic way that I put down my colors and chopping chopping and changing uh, my top and my bobbin thread so that if I start off with one color I have several sort of blending modes where I sort of stitch through um, changing the top and bottom color so that I can get uh, a somewhat seamless uh, change between the colors and it can work really beautifully with colors that are close together sort of colors that are close on your color wheel like if you're blending through oranges mm. and yellows but it also works with very different colors I've got pieces where I've done sort of border lily pads that fade from lime green through to like a plummy purple two yeah. very different colors both in terms of the color and also the tone of the color very bright to very dark but it still works it's still has that seamless, somewhat seamless change, as seamless as it can be when you're mixing two very different colours. So it was um, a very important part of my process and something that I strive to incorporate in many of my works. And although it's a lot of thread changes and a bit of a 
bit of a planning process, I think it's absolutely worth it. The, it the works stuff. so well. And I love even you use um, lighter threads to make it look even more three-dimensional on some yeah. pieces where in the middle you're using lighter threads and then it even turns it into a sculptural effect where your the highlights are even more de defined. Yes, definitely. That's something that I definitely employ in some of the shell pieces. So sort of interpretations of Nautilus shells and things like that where, yes, exactly like you said, around the edges it's a more richer, deeper orange fading into more yellows in the centre. So even though the piece itself, it might be curved because I can shape and mould them, yes. it's a very shallow curve. So to make, yeah, exaggerate that effect, yeah, how you lay down the colour just like you would with regular drawing or painting because yes. this is just drawing with threads. Yes. Do you wonder about the world seeing colour as a highlighted feature of <laughs> what you experience? Is that a big part of your life? Uh, probably unconsciously, you know, yeah. you, you always get drawn to certain things. And one thing about working with embroidery thread, quite often embroidery threads come in very intense colours. They're those really pure primary yeah. colours. There are, of course, more muted pastel tones, but that tends to not be what I'm drawn to. So quite often my works are larger than life or brighter than than true things and they're almost candy colored uh, and that's because of you know the materials that I work with or the materials that I have to work with and they're also just the colors that I'm drawn to so even if they're not purely realistic I don't think that's a problem as long as they're joyous yeah absolutely your work is joyous 100% I think that's a great word to describe it it Thank it you. blends art and nature but also it gives you a feeling of like wonder and and the, and that's partly the colors but also the textures and the forms and just this uh the shadows the whole thing is wonderful oh thank you i really hope that you know, if people see my work they it makes them curious because so often people look at it and if they're not familiar with embroidery because it's not embroidery presented in the way that they're used yes. to seeing people can't figure out what it is and so yes. they're drawn in to look closer and to try and understand it and then perhaps to understand what the structure is what is it inspired by and and that's so much part of my practice going into nature finding things looking closely at them understanding them so if yeah, if my work can spark curiosity in people, either about the embroidery technique or about the natural things that inspired them, I feel like it's done its job. Absolutely. So some time ago you set yourself the task to create 100 pieces and you this was the 100 Embroideries Project mm -hmm. and it was highly ambitious but it, the <laughs> final product is amazing. Do you want to talk about this project? Oh, it was also highly ambitious because I was on this tight timeline I was actually, uh, I was pregnant with my second daughter wow. and having being my second, I knew what I was in for. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I had this solo exhibition booked and it was in the early stages of the year. And I was like, okay, I, this might be my last exhibition for a while. Cause you know, new baby. And, um, I want to, I want to do something different and I want to push myself, but also maybe not something too crazy. So, you know, I had this idea to do these hundred pieces all about the same size and and I, I did the maths and I was like, yeah, so that's maybe a couple of pieces a week. I, I think I, I think I can do that. So, you know, I, I, it sounds, oh, yeah, just make 100 pieces. <laughs> and that's fine until you run out of ideas. <laughs> um, but it was so good because, again, wanting to go back to those sort of early experimental days when I was first learning and first playing um, you know, I was trying all these different things and that was very freeing. And since then I felt like I got a bit set in my way. Mm. And like I said, I'm known for stitching coral and leaves and I had these very particular motifs that people will instantly recognize as mine. 
but I wanted to give myself an opportunity to explore beyond that. So although I definitely throughout the 100 definitely included all of those sort of iconic things, my ginkgo leaves and the coral and, and all of those sorts of things, it gave me the opportunity to explore other things and drawings just for the sake of drawing. So there's some that are just colourful rainbow explorations of structures. Others are, you know, other plants and animals uh, that I've never done before. So I think I, there's a butterfly in there. And it, it, it's it's funny because uh, whenever I teach a workshop, there's always someone that decides to make a butterfly. And it's always... Is this a really hard thing No, to... no, no. It's, it's okay. that people just naturally go towards because butterflies are great. Because they're beautiful and they're, colourful. They're awesome. Um, yeah. But I'd never made one. And it was always a joke yeah. in my class as soon as would be like oh my idea for my project is to make a butterfly I'd be like guess what you won the butterfly award there's always one in every class and it was always a joke why why don't they're a bit of a joke in my workshop yeah I made one so I finally made a butterfly (laughs) I also did my first bird which was actually a superb fairy wren (laughs) just a little black silhouette of one so you know I haven't explored those things since but it was a great excuse to do so so it was a really fun project it was challenging but it was so nice to see it come together and so nice to see them all exhibited together yes they look beautiful all together so you mounted them in the same sort of frame yeah. and they just met, come together to make such a cohesive uh, collection yeah and that's a big thing when you're working in a big series like that I couldn't just make a hundred random pieces yes. I wanted them to be displayed in order and I also wanted them to look like I had the idea of the, the, the grid, the one, the 10 by 10 grid of pieces. So I planned it out that every, because a lot of my designs are circular. That probably comes from the fact that I work in an embroidery hoop and I like circles, <laughs> they're nice. Um, so every second piece was a circular design and then the in-between pieces were more of a, you know, a free form, you know, a branch, a bird, a butterfly, whatever. And then I had to balance out the whole series so that it wasn't like a cluster of coral in one corner Mm. or a whole heap of blue pieces in another corner. I I was always not just making a hundred pieces, but planning out so that the whole series worked together and it looked balanced and it looked cohesive and, and all of that. So it was, it was this big juggling act. It was like putting a puzzle together, but you didn't have all the pieces yet. You were, yes. you were, you didn't even have the, any idea what some of the pieces were going to be. Uh, but yeah, it was very fun. And it's funny that you should bring up that project because I'm actually working on a, a small book uh, about that project at oh, the fantastic. moment, um, putting together because it was such a popular series and they all sold. They all sold out of wow. the exhibition in record time, which was kind of amazing. Um, and so I wanted to sort of bring them all back together. So I'm actually just in the process of putting together a, a book about the 100 Embroideries Project to kind of bring them all back together again. So How amazing. One thing that I love about this project, uh, because myself and m- most of my listeners are all about a sketchbook, mm-hmm. uh, I heard you talk about this project and that because you did so many and because you had, had were exploring your favorite motifs but also like looking for other things and more inspiration that you went back to your old sketchbooks and I and trawl through them and just get re-sparked from your old sketchbooks and I remember I I did art in high school and my teacher was always talking about keep a visual diary keep everything in it it will be so valuable later and I never really got that until later just how valuable that is and I'd love for you to talk about that like revisiting your old sketchbooks and getting re-sparked by the things you'd put there oh absolutely I know I know what you mean I feel sometimes we're so keen to just 
jump into the artwork. Make the thing, yeah. The thing. <laughs> and uh, we, we sort of forget about how important and also how enriching that process yeah. of, of sketching is. So quite often, you know, you'll sketch down ideas and then they'll never happen or they won't happen for years. They'll just be those starting points. They're not quite there yet. You don't have enough information or it's not working yet or you don't have the skills perhaps yet to bring them to life in the way you want so they just get put in a drawer and then with my own practice you know there were things that were working there were things that people were asking me for or commissioning and I was very much going in those directions but there were obviously lots of other things that I'd played with at least in the early drawing and sketching zones so this was a wonderful opportunity to yet pull out those old sketchbooks pull out the university fieldwork sketchbooks and discover species that i'd forgotten about and revisit them and then i also had a designated sketchbook for the project as well that just went with me everywhere it was just a little moleskin and it was just in my handbag with a pencil the whole time and then as whenever i was thinking of ideas or if i had a spare minute I could just sort of sit down and roughly kind of sketch out. And the pa the pages were small, so I knew that if it fitted ne neatly on the page, it would suit the scale of the 100 yeah. embroideries project. So that was also a really good uh, process for me. The sketchbook from the 100 embroideries project for me is probably more precious than any yes. of the pieces in the project itself. And there are many pieces in that sketchbook that didn't make it into the project. Interesting. Might Might get made in the future, might not. Who knows? But it's that wonderful resource that you can go back to and refer back to and it's so valuable i think my sketchbooks are yeah probably more precious to me than any of my works themselves because so much of the discovery and the the research and so much of the early initial stages are in those sketchbooks i feel that by the time i get to the sewing machine i'm essentially coloring in i've done all the planning i've done all the hard work in the drawing and design stages and the sketchbooks are the the impetus for all of it. That's such an interesting thing to hear and it's wonderful because as nature journalists we're always talking about it's process not product and the process is where you make the connection. The process is where you deepen your understanding and do all the learning and yes you can create something wonderful that can then go out into the world and bring joy and you know, spark a conversation, but the process is what you carry with you and that's the evidence of it on, on the page. Yeah. And I think so often people don't see the process. Sometimes we're very reluctant to share our sketchbooks because yes. there's a, let's be honest, there's a lot of bad drawings in it. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly how they're meant to be. Yes. I, I do have some very beautiful polished sketchbooks that I that are really little works of art in themselves where I've taken my best designs and my mm -hmm. best drawings and my best notes about particular plants or animals and put them all together in a beautiful way. And that's just one type of sketchbook for me that is very nice. That is probably, if you see photos of my sketchbook, I'm going to share that one. But there yeah. are plenty of scrappy, messy, scribbled pages, and, and that's all part of the process as well. They need to be celebrated just as much as those really beautiful drawings. Absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned this before, but I'd love to dive into it a little bit, and that is balancing a creative career with motherhood <laughs> I know that this this is a big challenge that I'm going through at the moment and it's a joyful one and at the same time you know you you want to dedicate yourself fully to both things and you can't always do that and I'd love to hear your experience of that 
Sure. Well, it definitely is a juggle. Um, it is a balancing act. I don't know if anyone's got it figured out. I don't know if it can be fully figured out. But I find that for me personally, like I love being mum, love my kids, but I definitely still need that creative outlet. Um, that's so much a part of who I am. I'm so much more than just being a mum, as important and wonderful as that is. So I've always strived to have that balance. I never really stopped working. Uh, when I had my first daughter, I was in the middle of writing my book, which was probably a terribly stupid idea to take on <laughs> while pregnant and then with a newborn. So I was always juggling that. And then, as I said, leading up to the birth of my second daughter, I had this this big 100 embroideries project. And, and I've always had, when my kids are young, they're in the studio with me. But it's, again, it's about that balance. They're in the studio with me, but when they're awake... <laughs> we're hanging out we're doing baby yes. stuff we're, we're we're eating we're whatever and then when they would sleep that would be the blocks of time that i could get my work done and i sort of had my studio set up so that my studio is away from home i need to go to work that's mm -hmm. important to me. so i would have a separate room with a portacot and you know we'd sort of go baby would sleep i'd do a bit of work and then they wake up we do baby stuff and then the process continues. And I had to really reevaluate and adjust my expectations of myself. That was a really big thing because I was used to before kids, BC, <laughs> before kids, <laughs> um, you know, I was able to produce so much work. I was yeah. able to stitch all day and I was able to churn through work. And then I just was not able to do anything like that once having kids. I just do not have the time. And even now, um, you know, I've got the two girls, my eldest is in school this year and the youngest is in daycare three days a week. And so those, those three days are the days that I'm in the studio and doing work, but also because my eldest is in school, I've got to pick her up. Yes. I've got to leave the studio at 2.30. So my work day got so much shorter. Yes. So you, know, <laughs> you just get into a new thing. Oh, I've got these three days and I know how much I can achieve in three days. And then you have to readjust the, the expectations again and learn that that's okay. It's okay to say no to things. It's okay. Um, but we also push ourselves, I think. And I know I definitely sometimes in an unhealthy way, push myself too much, take on too much, have a hard time saying no, but it's also because I love it. Mm -mm. And I think it is important for your kids to see that, you know, there is that side of you and that that's important. One thing that I've quite enjoyed this year, having my oldest daughter going to school during school holidays, she's with me all the time so we go into the studio and she loves coming into the studio and i don't expect to get much work done when i'm there so we go in and she'll have a project that she wants to work with something creative it might be a little craft kit or she wants to do a drawing or a painting and we set her up on a table and i'll set up on another table and i'll just kind of it might be just drawing it's generally for me i'm not sewing when she's there with me um but you know a drawing we're designing i might be mounting something and then as soon as she doesn't want to be there anymore we go home and anything I can get done is a bonus. Yeah, and yeah. Okay, yeah. I love what you said about readjusting expectations because we can have this thing where we hold tightly to what we were achieving before or what we dream or hope or expect to achieve, but bringing it back to reality is is a good thing. But continuing, as you said, it's important for kids to see their mum's you know, striving for something, creating something, being their own person. Um, but I love also that, you know, you wind it back and say uh, you talked about finding inspiration close to home on walks with your kids or, you know, you don't have to go to 
some grand place to find your subject matter. Sometimes it just means picking up a leaf in the backyard. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about finding that balance and what works for you and being okay with it and also understanding that things change. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is a phase as well. And the next thing there'll be, you'll, you'll open your eyes one day and then the kids will be off with their friends hanging out. Yep. Everyone at keeps the train station. <laughs> yeah. saying, oh, it's so fast. It goes by so quickly. And when you're in the moment, particularly with young kids, you're kind of like, oh gosh, but yeah. you know, I've got a kid in school now. When, when did that happen? Yeah. So, absolutely trying to trying to enjoy it but also trying to not put everything on hold just because your kids because you can still do the things that are important to you would you like to talk about your book you mentioned it before so you've written a book organic embroidery yeah yeah so uh, well what year did I make that when did I have my daughter (laughs) my life's a blur I think 20 17, 2018. So I was approached to make a book and sort of uh, had never really considered doing that, but thought what a bucket list thing to do. And I definitely put all my heart and soul into it. So the book is sort of part sort of visual inspirational sort of record of some of my favorite pieces and the stories behind them but it also maps out my process in a way that you can learn more about what I do but also take it on yourself if if, if you're interested in that so I talk through from sort of start to finish I go through my field work and sort of my sketchbooks in, in, in a basic way taking photos how I develop my designs and then the the technical I guess how to on how I do my type of embroidery and things like color blending and and the different types of structures and things that you can use. So a lot of people like the book because, you know, it it kind of shows them how they can do this type of very particular embroidery and gives them a good basis there. But then other people just like it because it's full of lots of beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted it to be both. I wanted it to be multi-layered and and even now I, I you know I read back over it and I'm like yeah I'm, I'm pretty proud of it there's probably not much of it I'd change even though my practice has sort of uh you know moved forward in the last five or so years since I brought it out so this is a technique that someone with a few tweaks could do on a home sewing machine oh absolutely yeah you don't need a fancy sewing machine just a normal sewing machine and a bit of patience and know-how and the right thread and you're fine <laughs> amazing so you and I, in fact, were featured in the same book very recently, and I think this is how we came to Quite each other's way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> media, don't you love how the world connects you through that? Yep. Yeah, so the book is called Create Naturally, and the subtitle is Go Outside, Rediscover Nature with 15 Artists. So the book was um, written by Marsha Young, and... Marsha interviewed each artist, 15 of us, and then there's the book is beautiful in itself. It's got all sorts of lovely, rich uh, photographs and then the story of the artists. Mm, yeah, it was such an honour to be invited to be a, part of, be a part of that book and it was such a nice process. Again, such a variety of artists but all sort of linked by that, that spark Correct. that comes from nature, you know, which is such a simple thing and it's a thing that, I think all of us are linked by um, whether we think we are or not. So, yeah, it's a beautiful book. I love what you said that we're all linked through nature and so it's so easy as a, as a city dweller or someone who's not got a regular way of connecting with nature to feel like there's nature over there and there's me here in the city but mm-hmm. that we just have to remember that it's one and the same. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think sometimes we see nature as a pest like, oh, 
there's ants and cockroaches yeah, yeah. in my apartment <laughs> and there's weeds growing where I don't want them to grow, but it's just nature doing its thing. We're just trying to make it our own. Yeah. So let's talk briefly about sketchbooks and nature journaling. And I know that nature journaling and travel journaling are part of your life. I'd love to hear a little more about that, how the sketchbook and nature journaling in particular plays a role in your creative practice. Sure, sure. Yes. So I really do love nature journaling, Um, although I think people find me and like me for my embroidery. The nature journaling is a big part of what I do. Um, And I do often teach it whenever I get a chance as well. I really love it because I feel like, well, only certain people are drawn to embroidery or you need a sewing machine. Anyone can draw. Anyone can pick up a pencil and paper and enjoy that. And nature is such a great place to start with that because I think when you draw something from nature, whether it be a leaf or a bird or whatever, it doesn't always have to look exactly like that thing. It just sort of has to feel like that thing. And then you can recognize it and you can be really satisfied with the drawing, which is such a big part of it because so many people are quick to say, oh, I can't draw. I'm not a drawer. And that's the barrier that stops them from even starting. But in my own practice, uh, like I mentioned, I do like to do field work and, and go out and collect and sketch things. I also find drawing just to be one of the most centering and focusing Mm -hmm. and often relaxing things that I can do, particularly once you become comfortable or familiar with your subject, good friends with your subject. I quite like to sometimes just sit down and draw repetitive patterns of leaves, fill up a sketchbook page with certain leaves all nestled together. And those sorts of things definitely filter into my own work. So I um, do like to keep uh, those sorts of journals and I have varying levels of them. They're sort of the, the scrappy ones where there's a page here and a page there. And then there's those more purposeful ones where they're more considered, they're curated, their page is planned out. So it's all balanced. Uh, you mentioned travel journals. Um, last year I was very, very lucky with my family to take four months out of our lives and, uh, travel around a bit of Australia in a caravan. Oh, fantastic. Two kids under five. (laughs) It was amazing, but also challenging. But my creative outlet during that trip was I decided I wanted to make a travel journal and it was a very purposeful thing. I wanted something that was creative, something that was for me, but also something that fed into the trip. So I had a beautiful little sketchbook, had my little fieldwork kit of uh, pens and pencils and watercolors. And the whole way through the trip, I was always basically keeping a list of things that I wanted to include in that mm. in that sketchbook. I would keep a list of the the places that we'd go to, the things that we did, the things that we saw, and it was in my mind. So when I was photographing things, it might be an interesting plant or a bird or a building or a street sign or, or whatever, that I could have illustrated elements but also essentially write a little bullet point style journal of the things that we saw and the things that we did. And so I ended up making this little book and um, I would work on it when my youngest daughter was asleep because the youngest would still take a day nap. So invariably one of us would have to sit in the caravan with her while she napped. And that was perfect for me. Yeah, I'll do it. You go, you go take the big one and go on an adventure. I want to sit and draw. And it was so nice to just have that break because when you draw, you become so focused and in that lovely flow state. And, you know, they were small, simple drawings mm. and little notes. And I ended up creating this beautiful keepsake of the trip and now when I flick back through it it's like a time machine you go back to not just the places you visited but also the time that you were sitting down and drawing and it it just it triggers memories in ways that sometimes I feel photographs don't because you're so connected when you're drawing something because your whole body is involved in it in many ways 
100%. I love that you said it brings back memories of the time, but it also brings back memories of the process of creating it. And then that's such a rich experience that is completely evoked in in full color detail when you look back at the pictures. I love that. Yeah, no, it's really lovely. And then you have this wonderful thing. And even my, my daughter's very excited about it. She loves to look through it and and show other people and yeah, we're not showing people photographs of our trip. We're showing people this little book and, yeah. and I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's so special. Tell me about what's next. So you you talked about working on uh, a little book about the 100 Embroideries Project and I think you're also working, prepping for a solo show later in the year. Is that right? Yes, yes, I am. So in this balance of trying not to take on too much, <laughs> I've probably taken on too much. So uh, yes, like I mentioned, I do have that little book coming out of the 100 Embroideries Project. Um, it's it's just getting wrapped up now. So that'll be available if anyone wants their own little version of it. And then, yes, I'm working towards my next solo show. So the 100 Embroideries Project was the last solo exhibition I had back in 2020. And then, you know, I was invited back to the same gallery this year I was like, yes, I would really like that opportunity. But unlike past years, um, I don't have um, a backlog of work mm -mm. To, to kind of bring along and it's a really big space. So I'm really focused on that show at the moment. As I mentioned, it's coral focused because I'm just obsessed with coral. I just love it. <laughs> I find it so interesting and I find it so beautiful. But I also found, particularly with the sea fans, which I am drawn to because they work so well with my technique, I didn't know that much about them. They're actually really hard to find out about them. They're not as easy to identify. Uh, they don't seem to be as many, you know, scientists writing about them. But uh, I connected with a uh, another friend of mine did uh, an amazing sort of traveling expedition a few years ago uh, where they uh, did all this marine work on, went and stayed on a ship. It was amazing. And I went to a presentation about that and connected with the head scientist there and she put me on to a scientist who had developed uh, essentially a scientific field guide of um, sea fans, which is out of print, but I managed to pick up a copy. <laughs> of and I've just been nerding out on sea fans and learning all about them. And they're very complicated in their identification. It's often quite microscopic. But, yeah, so fascinating as well. So I'm hoping that with this exhibition, I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to be an expert on sea fans, but I'm definitely using it as an opportunity to learn more about them and to, again, you know, become friends with particular genuses and, and, and understand how they work and how they are structured and then create my own stitched interpretations of those. So that's my focus for that show and I'm really loving it. I'm so excited by it. I just hope I can make enough pieces to pull it off. <laughs> That's fabulous. I love that also, again, you're mixing science and art. You're making connections with scientists and then, yeah, taking that work and interpreting it in your own way that, that will reach a different audience that never would have seen that book that uh, the scientists created. But now that work is going to be reinterpreted in, in a colourful and artistic way. I certainly hope so. And I, I, I really hope because I think quite often you think coral fan is just one thing. Mm -hmm. So by bringing to an exhibition that really highlights the similarities and differences between them, again, it just makes people curious. It makes people look closer and understand that there's so much more to our world than perhaps we initially see. Amazing. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Meredith. 
She did a great job of describing her artwork through this podcast medium, but it's a wonderful thing to see for yourself so that you can take in all the forms, shapes, and colors of the work. I invite you to go to the show notes of this episode and follow the links to Meredith's website where you can see her artwork in full color and detail. If you're interested to find out more about the book that features Meredith and myself, as well as 13 other artists whose practice is connected with nature, it's called Create Naturally by Marsha Young, and you can find a link to that also in the show notes of this episode. I'm really interested to hear your experience combining nature and creativity in unique ways. You can write a comment under this podcast on the Journaling with Nature website. Have you ever tried embroidery or another way of using textiles in your creative practice? I'd love to hear about it. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.